Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to World Weekly. I'm Jeff Dyer. Today we're talking about U.S.-China relations as Donald Trump prepares to welcome Chinese President Xi Jinping to his Florida resort for their first ever face-to-face meeting. At a summit that Mr. Trump has already said will be very difficult, the two will discuss future trade relations as Mr. Trump moves to implement his America First agenda, as he likes to call it. And the leaders will also talk about North Korea and its nuclear program and Beijing's maritime claims in the South China Sea. Down the line from Beijing is the Bureau Chief there, Tom Mitchell, and we also have on the line Dmitry Sevastopolo, our Washington Bureau Chief. Now, Dmitry, you were in the FT team who had an interview this week with President Donald Trump, and he made a very striking comment about North Korea in that interview. He said that if China doesn't sort out the North Korea crisis, we will. Do you think the US, is, this administration, is genuinely considering some kind of military action if North Korea continues with its nuclear program? Is that really on the table now, or is that just an idle threat? I don't think it's an idle threat, but I also don't think it's right smack in the middle of the table at the moment. I think what Trump and his team are clearly hoping is that China will ratchet up the pressure on North Korea and take actions that China has been reluctant to do in the past for its own domestic and political reasons and see if they can get some traction there. But clearly they're making a lot of noise to suggest that if China doesn't do that, then they will pursue a different route. Now, during the presidential campaign, Trump talked about sitting down with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un for a hamburger. So, I mean, you could say that unilateral action could be actually bilateral negotiations between the US and North Korea. But Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, and others have made clear that military options have not been taken off the table. And I think the administration is walking a fine line here between sending a message mainly to China that things could get more complicated if China doesn't act. But they also don't want to say that they're gearing up for military action because obviously that will really raise the temperature in the region. Tom, what's the Chinese view on all this? Do they think the Trump administration is just talking tough but there's no substance there? Or do they think there's something really different with this administration that they're considering a much more radical posture towards North Korea? I don't think they see a huge difference. I mean... Donald Trump is obviously a very blunt individual compared to his predecessors, but in a sense, the message from the Obama administration, George W. Bush administration to the Chinese always was, you know, if things don't improve and you guys don't help out, we're just going to have to look for other options working with our allies, South Korea and Japan. What's different this time is the velocity, the, the number of nuclear and ballistic missile tests which has really added to the urgency from the American perspective. But the Chinese don't seem to appreciate that urgency. They're still playing this honest broker type role where they try and tell both North Korea and South Korea and the U.S., look, you guys are all equally to blame. So North Korea, if you halt your nuclear and ballistic missile activities and South Korea and the U.S., if you halt your military exercises, then like squabbling school children on a playground, we can sort this out. 
But that really annoys the Americans because they don't accept this moral equivalency, as they call it, between North Korea's act actions and their actions. Um, but China doesn't seem to be able to back away from this position. It's something that's really frustrating. Tom, tell us a little bit about the Chinese views at the moment on North Korea. I mean, the, the recent North Korean tests are not just an affront to the U.S., they're also a challenge to China in lots of ways. Just how exasperated are they by Kim Jong-un? Oh, they're extremely annoyed by this. And that would be putting it lightly, anecdotally. He, we hear that Xi Jinping has absolutely no patience for, for Kim Jong-un. You know, it really drives the Chinese side mad, all these provocations. It's very embarrassing. But... The bottom line for China is they will not tolerate instability in North Korea that could spill over their borders. I, the numbers are very vague, but we've seen reports of something like 85,000 refugees from North Korea maybe coming into China this year. So the prospect for instability is, from China's perspective, is huge. And they just don't want to do anything that could unsettle the situation. So they don't care what America and South Korea's concerns are. Their bottom line is not moving. Let's shift the conversation to trade. Uh, Dimitri, Donald Trump has threatened to label China as a currency manipulator, and he's called on officials in, in his administration to find a solution to the U.S. trade deficit. So what do you think he's actually going to go into this meeting with Xi Jinping to, to say on trade? What are going to be his, his main talking points? Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that I think North Korea is going to be top of the agenda. But on trade... We asked Donald Trump specifically, was he going to bring up tariffs? Because the U.S. strongly believes that China needs to adjust its tariffs to make uh, to equalize the level with the U.S. to make trade more fair. So we said, are you going to bring that up in your meeting with Xi Jinping? Because this is one of the things that Trump was talking about all the time during the campaign, China and trade. And he said, well, I don't think I'm going to bring it up this time, maybe at some future meeting. So it was kind of a strange thing to concede before the meeting that the president who was elected on a platform which was about tackling U.S. trade deficits, cracking down on unfair trade practices or alleged unfair trade practices by China, to now say that he wasn't going to talk about one of the main issues. But he's clearly going to try and establish a framework for areas where the U.S. and China might try and work together and reach some kind of a deal on trade-related issues that would satisfy Trump and be palatable to the Chinese. But how exactly they're going to get there is unclear. The Commerce Department has set in motion a 90-day study of U.S. trade deficits, and China is going to be a big component of that to try and work out where the U.S. can actually take action to tackle its trade deficit and where it's just not feasible. And I'm sure there's going to be a conversation with Xi Jinping about that when he meets Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago on Thursday and Friday. Tom, do you think the Chinese would be prepared to make any concessions on trade to the Trump administration to get it to back off? I think it would be very difficult. They've been really confused by Trump's rhetoric. Essentially, they were started the year very, very worried about what he might do on the trade front. He was promising that he would be slapping tariffs on you know, his, his first day in office, and then nothing happened. And so I think the Chinese government started to feel a sense of relief and, okay, maybe this threat was exaggerated. But more recently, there's been some worrying signs from Beijing's perspective. If you look at the testimony of Lighthizer, the uh, nominee for U.S. trade representative, he's an experienced trade lawyer who has a lot of you know, very specific ideas about what needs to be done to counter the rise of Chinese state capitalism, as, as it's referred to, and industry subsidies. And um, the advantages accruing from China's state banking system. 
And then if you look at the study that Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, has launched, Dimitri just alluded to, it's clear that some things are starting to coalesce. So you don't have that dramatic first shot fired on the first day in office, but it does look like Lighthizer and Ross, supported by Peter Navarro, you know, are preparing specific actions. I think the Chinese are pretty worried about that, but at this point, they still don't have anything to react to. And I don't think they're going to preemptively give concessions until it's clear what exactly the, the threat from the Trump administration is. Now, one of the interesting things about this summit is it's taking place at Mar-a-Lago in Florida and not at the White House. Dimitri, what should we draw from that? Why has Donald Trump decided to do the summit in Florida? And does this give him any advantage in any way? Well, so Trump invited Xi Jinping to go to Mar-a-Lago. I think Trump clearly feels more comfortable there. It's out of Washington. Most of the time, there's no press around and press can't get in. It's his winter White House, as he likes to call it. And, you know, anecdotally, people who spend time with him there said he's just much more comfortable when he's in that environment than when he's in Washington and the White House and in the kind of goldfish bowl. So I think that's one of the reasons he wants to do it. Also, the Chinese, I think, are happy to do it there because Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister, did a summit with President Trump. He spent time in Washington, but then they flew down on Air Force One together and Prime Minister Abe spent a couple of nights there and played golf with the president. So I think partly it's that the Chinese want to have something that they feel uh, shows the importance of them on the world stage as well. And Mar-a-Lago, uh, the president's private club, is a way to demonstrate that. Whether it gives President Trump an advantage or not, it's difficult to know. I mean, one of the strange things about holding a summit there is the members of Mar-a-Lago, at least so far, are not excluded from the club when these things are happening. So when Prime Minister Abe was there, you had a wedding going on at a different part of the club, and at one point the kind of wedding guests and the, the Trump-Abe entourage kind of mingled a little bit, and you had photographs of them all together at the same time that North Korea was firing a, a missile. So, you know, the Chinese may feel a little bit unnerved by the fact that there's going to be a lot of people hovering around who are actually not part of the U.S. delegation. And, and whether that's going to unsettle things or not, we'll have to wait and see. But it's definitely a different environment than they're used to. A final question for you, Tom, about the overall Chinese views on the Trump administration. Obviously, Donald Trump is a candidate has some very aggressive things to say about China. But the Chinese will also have read lots of newspaper reports about infighting within his White House and a certain amount of disorganization. So what do they think about Donald Trump at this stage? Are they intimidated or do they think that he's going to be a bit of a walkover? I think... Frankly, they've been as confused as everyone else because he had issued all these threats during the campaign and then nothing came of it. And one of the, I mean, a great example of this is the lengths to which by accepting the phone call from Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen in early December and then within a week in an interview with, I think it was Fox News, publicly saying, well, he may not be bound by the one China policy by which the U.S. does not officially recognize Taiwan. So he made a big deal of that. And yet then in his first call with Xi Jinping in, in February, he backed away from that. So that was all set up and then nothing happened. And then after that, the Chinese see that you have all these different factions almost fighting with each other in the White House, people who don't really want to see huge disruption in the China-US relationship and others who do seem to be itching for a fight. So quite frankly, they're just, they're waiting to see what's going to happen like the rest of us. And then they will act when the Trump administration acts. So I think they're still worried, but they definitely, I guess they were, they were taking some encouragement from all the confusion 
and it does it certainly doesn't help Trump's image here to have failed as badly as he did on health care. It just kind of looks like an administration that, that doesn't know what it's doing. And how do you deal with a counterparty that doesn't seem to know what it's doing? I think the Chinese are pretty confused at this point. Well, hopefully the summit will bring a lot more clarity to at least some of these issues. So on that note, that's all we have time for on World Weekly Today. So thank you to Dmitry Sevastopolo in Washington and Tom Mitchell in Beijing. And thank you for listening. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.